Thank you so much. Uh, we're almost at the end of our, you can see their major messages from the minor prophets. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope you have too. Uh, and who we're going to look at today is uh, the prophet Malachi. And uh, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And a lot of people would say that Malachi chronologically is also the last book in the New Testament. But it will not be the last book we look at in the series. Uh, next weekend, JT's going to wrap it up with uh, Habakkuk, which is going to be uh, really cool. But Malachi's name uh, means messenger. And some people say that this guy, uh, that name Malachi was either his name or was just a title that he had. But this uh, book has been written in a legal disputation format. And, and really the picture is, and I think this is a helpful picture, it's like God is talking to his people and they're on the stand. And he's got some pretty, uh, in, uh, pretty uh, hard accusations against them. He's got some pretty strong words of correction to them. But before he uh, lets them have it, so to speak, uh, the book starts off with God really affirming his people. And we're gonna start there. Malachi 1, verse 1 says this. It says a prophecy, and it might say in your Bible an oracle, and that word actually means a burden, which I find interesting. Uh, the word of the Lord to, uh, to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now we're gonna talk a bit more about the whole Jacob-Esau Jacob thing in a bit here, but um, right off the bat, he reminds his people uh, about the time of their choosing. That's what he refers to in this question of, of, of their love for him. And, and he's driving home the point, Israel, I love you, but don't forget, don't ever forget that I have chosen you not even, not even older, over your older brother, if that makes sense. But I've also chosen you over every other nation on the planet. And really what we see in Malachi, a lot of the strong words in, that, in this book are, are really coming from God towards his people where he's saying to them, hey, you guys, you've forgotten one of the primary reasons why I chose you, why you're my, you know, my special possession. And all through the Bible, from when God first called Abraham and all the way through into the New Testament, there's this, there's this theme that God wants to do something in and through his people. That there's something that he wants to do through followers of Jesus that's gonna impact, uh, that's gonna impact the rest of the world. And, and that is that we would be an example to the rest of the world of what it looks like for a human being to be in a relationship with God. Uh, you know, that people could look at us and see what it looks like to be, you know, to, for a human to interact with God. And so when he's talking to Israel, God's plan for the Israelites in choosing them was literally to put them on display for all these other nations around them to look at them and to look at how God interacts with his people and to, and to want, to want what they have. And, and it's the same for us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So if you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, this is for you. You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador for, for Jesus. And there's not only a work God wants to do in you, there's a work that God wants to do through you. God literally wants to put you on display for other people to see how you interact with God. And I was speaking with a, a buddy recently, just actually just last week, 
And he's, uh, he had been in an accident and uh, he had a physiotherapist that would come to his home and was doing all these, you know, cool exercises, uh, trying, to get him, trying to get him back on track. And, and he, is, he is super outspoken about his faith. And so he was just talking to this lady about the Bible and, and uh, she was really interested. And he said, well, do you want me to read you some of the Bible? And she said, sure. So he read Genesis chapter one and two, all about creation, you know, Adam and Eve, hockey, etc. And <laughs> it's in there. But so she read this to this woman and literally when he stopped reading, he looked up and she was looking with big eyes and, and this is exactly what she said. She said, wow, I have never heard that before. And I thought, and that's what I thought. I thought, wow. And, and you think about it, we live at a time where Bibles are more accessible than they've ever been. I mean, how many Bible apps are out there? And yet we also live at a time where I would say people are more Bible illiterate than maybe they've ever been. And so in this context of, of, of us being on display, one of the primary ways that people around you are gonna learn about God, or another way to put it, one of the, pri- the, you know, the only Bible a lot of people are gonna read is you. It's watching your life. It's watching how you live life, how you interact uh, with God. And I mean, we are being watched. And that is God's plan. I mean, think back to, I think it was earlier this year, I lose track sometimes, we had this series on influence. Remember that, where we talked about how the fact that we're being watched, that people are watching, uh, uh, you know, uh, they see God in us. People see how we respond to God in the good times and the hard times. People see how we respond to God when he asks us to obey, even when it doesn't make sense to us or it doesn't make sense to them. And what we're gonna see as we look at Malachi today is that God, really to put it blunt, God was rebuking his people because they were doing a lousy job of demonstrating what it looks like as human beings to be in a relationship with God. So let's uh, stop there, let's pray, and then we're gonna jump into, uh, into Malachi. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just another opportunity we have to, like JT was saying earlier, it's not just church, not just the routine, it's we're in the presence of God. We're in the presence of the one who, while we were sleeping, was looking after things that we can't even comprehend. So Lord, I pray that you would just uh, tune us into you today. Way beyond my words, I pray that you would speak to each person. You would uh, just be personal with each one here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Uh, so we're gonna be looking at three different sections of Malachi, and this is important. It's all gonna be from the perspective or in the context of what does God want to show through us to the world about himself? Uh, and the, the scriptures will be on the screens. Number one is uh, God wants to show through us that our God, and this is simple, but our God is love. Our God is a loving God, and his love is a special love. It's a perfect love. And like I said in the intro, right off the top, God declares his love for his people, and they respond to God with, really? How have you loved us? And now, if, if I was God, looking back over the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Exodus and, you know, just how all the ways that God displayed his power, his love, his patience, his mercy with his people. If I was God hearing that response from my people, the next verse in Malachi would have gone something like this. Why you ungrateful little imps and God smote them, right? The end, Malachi, shortest book in the Bible. That's, that's how I would have responded, but thankfully uh, that was, it was not my call. Uh, but as I stated in the intro, They ask the question, how have you loved us? God responds to that question by going back to their birth as a nation. 
right? By going back to their, uh, to their time of choosing, where I talked about Jacob and Esau. You got these twins, Jacob and Esau. You got Abraham, and Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older. But God chose Jacob over Esau. He chose the younger over the older. And again, he's talking about their, their choosing. And Jacob is the, you know, is the father. He had 12 sons, Jacob did. Uh, and they, they were the, the uh, it's from those 12 sons that the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel came about. So it's really the birth of this nation. And, and here's how God shows his love and taking them back to that time. Romans 9, 11 says this, referring to Jacob and Esau. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, their mother was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And you know, when it says Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, just as a side note, that really is focusing more on the greatness of the love God had for Jacob, meaning in comparison to how I treated Esau, you know, or in comparison to how I treated Jacob, the love I had for him, the way I treated Esau, it would look like I hated him. Does that make sense? Well, okay, three nods. Okay, we'll move on. It makes sense to me. I got the notes in front of me. But he, again, he goes back to their beginning, and when he, you know, how have you loved us, God? He goes back to their choosing, and here's the thing. Really, he goes back to their condition when he chose them, when, he, when they became his special possession. My, he's, he's saying to them, my love for you, Israel, is not dependent upon your condition. Long before they'd done anything good or bad, my love for you is not you know, dependent upon your performance, is not dependent upon your circumstances. The love of God is like this. He's saying to his people, before you wrote the test, I gave you an A. That's the kind of love I have, this constant, uh, never-ending love. And, 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 and when they challenge God, isn't it interesting that when they do challenge him, how have you loved us? He doesn't go back and say, oh, how have I loved you? Well, don't you remember when you were whooping on all your enemies? He doesn't go back to sort of the high points in the history of Israel. He doesn't say, don't you remember when you're, you know, you're, you're defeating all your enemies? That's, that, those were signs of my love. Or don't you remember when your harvests were exploding and you're reaping all this stuff, you had to build bigger storehouses? That is a sign of my love with you. He doesn't do that. He goes back to this time of, of their beginning. He goes back to a place where he's showing them that his love for them is unconditional. It's a, it's a, you know, it never abandons them. It's a, it's a perfect, constant, never-ending love. And what God wants to display to the world through Israel of his character and of his love is that he loves his people in whatever condition they are in. That's his love. That's the kind of love. It's not conditional love. So when things are going great, Israel, woo, I love you. When things are not going great, Israel, woo, I still I still love you, and it's the same for us. Uh, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you uh, uh, wanted nothing to do with him, he wanted everything to do with you. When you were running away from him, he was running after you. That's the kind of love that, that, that's the kind of love that our God pours out on us constantly. And, and God's, you know, God's people are a people who stand on this truth regardless of their circumstances. Whatever is going on in our lives, there's this constant, there's this anchor in the storm. There is this, you know, this, uh, uh, there's this peace in a place where peace shouldn't be found. Now, 
putting that on display, do you not think that would be attractive to other people? Because everybody goes through storms. I don't care who you are. You go through storms. And to be able to, you know, to people around you to be able to see in the midst of a storm that even though you're getting blown around and tossed around, what does it say about the love of God that you, it's hard, but you are held fast. You are anchored. There's, a, there's this solid groundness in your life, even in the midst of a really hard, confusing time. And I remember seeing this, uh, this was years ago. I was a teenager uh, in the church uh, we used to go to uh, in the lives, I saw this in the lives of, the, of a couple in our church. They were leaders in the church and they uh, were going through a, 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 a hard season in their lives. They had struggled to get pregnant and they, uh, after lots of prayer and lots of uh, visits to doctors, they finally, you know, announced, hey, we're pregnant. And it's like, you know, there's something about, I love about the church family. We, we laugh together and we cry together. And when they said, we're pregnant, it was like, yes, this is awesome. And then they found out, like, a couple weeks before this little guy was born, the doctor said, hey, uh, he's going to have um, some serious disabilities. And I remember, after hearing that news, they came to the church, and, and, and they got up in front of the church, and they just... They talked about, you know, the, this little guy wasn't born yet. They talked about that storm and how they were coping with that storm that had just crashed on their lives. And he used this language that was really, uh, was helpful language. He said, when we heard the news, it was like the bottom dropped out of our lives. And it's like we fell into deep water and we were going down and down. And you know that feeling when you're in deep water and you're reaching out with your foot for, for the bottom, for solid ground? They said, we just kept reaching out, trying to find solid ground. And this was the part that really impacted me about, about God's love. He said, when we, finally, when we finally hit solid ground, he said, it wasn't, you know, the solid ground wasn't God coming to us and saying, let me tell you why this is happening. The solid ground wasn't, let me tell you how this is going to turn out. That wasn't the solid ground. He said, you know, his wife, him and his wife had been sitting and they sort of cried out. They had no more tears. He said, I had no more prayers. They were just sitting together. And he said, all of a sudden, this little thought came wiggling into his mind. And all of a sudden, out of his mouth, he said, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. This little song. And he looked at us and he said, and it makes no sense, but that was enough. That was enough. It, now, it didn't, that truth didn't change the situation, didn't. It didn't, like, fix everything. You know, easy button, pff, done. But it made a difference. The peace of God, the, the love of God in the midst of the storm, he said, it was enough. And, you know, one of the things I love about who we are as a church, just the way we interact with each other, whether it's preaching or whatever we're doing, small groups all across the board, this is a church where we just try to keep it real, Right? It's not like a prosperity church. Like you give your life to Jesus, and it's going to be rainbows and lollipops. I mean, we don't, it's a pretty real, we're pretty real with each other. Right? You give your life to Jesus, and hey, you know what? You still live in a broken world. You give your life to Jesus, we still have broken bodies. We still have uh, broken minds. We still have broken families. The, I mean, the truth is we struggle in the same ways as people who want nothing to do with God do. But our struggle is different because we struggle with hope because we have a, a God whose love, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Nothing can come between us and the flow and the peace and the power 
of God's love. The Bible says that God's love drives out fear. I mean, God's love is the anchor in the storm and, and uh, it really is enough. Now, the truth is it might take you a while to get to that place where you say, yes, it is enough. But the love of God that we get to, that God wants to lift us up to the world, uh, you know, and, and put us on display, the love of God, uh, it's that constant, constant anchor in the storm. And so the first thing God wants to show through us is his amazing, hope-giving love. Number two, God also wants to show through us that our God is generous. And probably the most known section in Malachi is our next passage. Malachi 3, verse 8 says this. Are you ready? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to bring a tithe to the temple, to the church. And tithe, it's a Hebrew word, and it means uh, a tenth, right? Ten, ten percent. And so if you were a farmer, you would bring, when you had harvest time, you would bring ten percent of your corn, or <laughs> that's all I can think of, corn. Uh, or you're a, you're a shepherd, you'd bring ten percent of your flock, you know, it, uh, you know, lambs or goats or whatever. If you were in some type of commerce, buying, selling, you would bring money, you would bring, uh, as a tithe, ten percent. Um, uh, and the tithes would supply food and resources for the, for the priests, for all the temple workers, the, the Levites, etc. cetera. Uh, it would provide food for uh, benevolence, for people in need. But what we see in Malachi, and what I just read, uh, is we see that now the people are either bringing nothing to God or they're bringing very little. They're not bringing what he said to bring. And God responds with these really strong words, you are robbing me. And now when you look at that, and just in the context of money and giving and God saying to his people, you're robbing me, do you really think God is upset? Like this intensity is caused because he needed the money, right? Do you know what it costs to run a universe? <laughs> you know you know my utility bill is? You think, you know, I don't even get air miles, right? But it's like, do you really think it was the money, right? God is standing there with a, an ever-sized mountain of gold behind him and he drops 10 little coins in your hand he says hey son hey daughter I want you to give one of those coins back to me like do you really think it's about the money right and it you're, you know it's it's not for him really what he's talking about in tithing is in, in his intensity it's it's for us because tithing is more an issue of trust than it is about money tithing is more about trust like who do you put your trust in Right? We need, God's looking at us going, you need this more than I do. This, this practice of, of giving from, and especially in our culture, it's giving from our finances. You need it uh, because there's something, one, there's obedience in it, but you need it because there's something that's good for your heart when you choose to give that to me. There's something about that symbolic act that it says, to, it's a reminder to you of who your trust is in of who is the one who's caring for you and looking after all your needs because God knows the hold money gets on the, can have on the human heart. I mean, just look at our culture. I mean, money, 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 money. It's just money. 
Look at all the wars that are being fought over money. It's money. There's a reason why they say follow the money because it always seems to come back to money. It's interesting, you know, on, on our money, it says in God we trust. To me, there's irony in that because, you know, it's sort of like, well, do we? You know, that's a real hard struggle for us and Jesus knows that and, you know, more than half of the parables, more than half of the stories that Jesus made up when he was talking to people, more than half are about money. Well, that should say something to us. It certainly says something from his perspective that I know that this can get a hold on you and this can really uh, uh, mess a human up. So he says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Right? Your treasure is the thing that you want more than anything else. Your treasure is the thing that you, you, know, that you think about more than anything else. And, and God, part of what he's saying in Malachi is, hey, I want to be your treasure. I want to be the one you know, that, that you want, the, the one that you want most, the one that you trust most in your life. And when he says you're robbing me, you know, to me it's a very fatherly thing. And what I mean is he's going, you're robbing Papa of the opportunity of being generous with his kids. You're robbing me from the opportunity to just, like he said, I'm gonna pour out on you more than you could ever imagine. You're robbing me of that opportunity. So he says in verse 10 to his people, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There's only one time and over one topic that God says, test me in the entire Bible. And it's this, it's over money. Think of when, you know, uh, uh, it's sort of a contrast there when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What did, you remember when he said to Satan, hey, Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And yet when it comes to Money, when it comes to giving, when it comes to trusting him to look after us, God, you know, leans in. And, and really what I, what I hear in, in this, in him saying, test me, I hear him uh, throwing out a challenge to us, right? It's like he's, and this is how God stands when he's challenging. It's in the Hebrew. But he says, I, I dare you. That's what I hear in this. He's looking at you. I think he's, he's excited, I dare you to try and outgive me. I dare you to take me up on this. Test me. Like, isn't that a challenge? It's like he's, he's throwing it down and saying, I dare you to test me in this. And, and here's the thing about it. This blessing he's promising, it starts with obedience, though. It's not an I will fill up your storehouses and then you give. No, it's you give. You obey and then you see, son, daughter. You see my response to you. And, you know, Am I saying then that if you aren't giving financially to the church that you are robbing God? Am I saying that? Well, you know what? I don't think that's my place to say that. And, and what I mean is I look around this room, there's so many different circumstances. We're all at different places in our hearts uh, when it comes to money. And so I, I believe that's something that God, if, if, if that's an issue between you and God and if he needs to say that to you, he's really good at getting your attention. That's something that he needs to say to you. And I, I also know for some when you, as soon as you heard me say, this morning we're talking about Malachi, you went, I know exactly, he's going to talk about money, right? I knew you, I knew, I know there's some of you are thinking that, and some of you are thinking, hey, that's Old Testament, that's the law, we're not under the law anymore, you know, that doesn't apply to us, we're under grace, and you know, if you, if you, if that's your stance, I would love to have coffee with you just to talk about it, I mean, at the coffee vault, they have great coffee at the coffee vault, but uh, uh, let me know afterwards and we'll set it up, but can we agree... 
can we agree that one of the ways that God shows the world that he is a generous God, if, it, if God's plan is to shine through us, to put us on display, can we agree that if God wants to show the world that he's a generous God, wouldn't it make sense that his people would be generous? Wouldn't it make sense? Our God is generous, therefore, we are generous. And you know, uh, Kroger, I know a lot of us shop at Kroger. Kroger has this program called the Roundup Program. And it's really simple, it's really easy. It's like you go through, you buy your groceries, let's say it's you know, $24.50 to say, do you want to round up? Sure, I'll round up. They round it up to $25. So I pay an extra 50 cents, and that 50 cents goes to charity. It's a simple little program. And if you're a little bit OCD and you don't like having change, it's awesome, right? You know what I mean? In 2016, Kroger in the United States gave away 11.5 million meals to people in need through this simple little program. Like, easy peasy, right? Uh, so I was in, in Kroger, uh, this is probably a, a month or two ago, and I was going through the self-checkout. And I really like doing this roundup because I, I want it's just, it's, it's a simple way to be generous. But I'm going through the self-checkout and, and I, wanted, I didn't know how to round up, right? Because there's no cashier. So there's a lady there and I know her in the sense that I've seen her in Kroger oodles of times and we always say hello. But I looked at her and I said, hey, how do I round up? And she got a big smile on her face and she said, oh, that's cool. And she, so she showed me and it's code 6244 if you want to know. But she came over and as she's going through the buttons, you know, showing me, she said this and I am not changing her words at all. She, and she had her back to me and she was talking. She said, you know, I see them church people coming in here after church and they won't even give pennies. And I'm standing there and I went, really? And I said, uh, you know, why don't you take pictures next time and send me those pictures of these people? Because I'd love to find out who these people are. You know, but it's like, but the thing that made it funny to me is I've never told her I'm a pastor. And it just was like, and maybe, you know, I don't know what was going on there. But I do know this. When I walked out of Kroger, after that interaction, I thought, you know, if we're on display, I thought, what does that say about our God? Well, our God is cheap. Our God doesn't give a rip about people in need, so why should I? Or, or maybe it's, a, it's more personal. He's not looking after me, so I gotta look after me. And so I gotta pinch every little penny I have. What does it say to the world? You know, the way that we live our lives, our actions, what does it say uh, about God? And now, if, if what I'm saying stirs guilt in your heart, as the, the classic song says, you, you must let that go, let it go. Uh, uh, because really what God is asking is this. God is love. He wants your giving to be in response to his generosity towards you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because of guilt, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's not the amount, it's the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. So let me encourage you, if this whole thing of being generous, if that's new to you, if you've been holding out, uh, let me encourage you to take God up on his challenge. Let me encourage you, this, starting this week, starting today, maybe you're gonna go grocery shopping, Look for opportunities 
to, to learn how to be and grow in the area of being a generous person because it reflects on our generous God. Finally, number three, God wants to show through us to the world that our God is worthy of our best. Malachi 3.16 says this, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So all through the book of Malachi, and again, we've been skipping around a bit, but all through the book, uh, God's rebuking his people about how they're acting towards him, their response to him. And he's expressing how displeased uh, he is with them. But then in, in the portion I just read, here in chapter three, it's almost like you know God's, hey, he's talking to his people, and I'm not happy about this, and you're robbing me. And, but then it's like he turns to this other group and he says, but you guys, I love what you guys are doing. Right? I'm not pleased here, but I'm pleased with you. And, and you know, I, it's such a beautiful picture that a scroll of remembrance was written to think. The picture I had was when you gather together as a small group. Think about this, that God is leaning into his people and he's listening. And he's listening to what we're talking about. And you gather together week after week and you're praying for each other and you're encouraging each other and you're coming along inside each other and God's listening and he's watching. And it's like, the picture I get, he's like, man, look at these guys. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're trusting me. Look at how they're loving me. Look at how they're loving on each other. Somebody write this down, right? Somebody write this down. I mean, it moves the heart of God. And just how in tune he is with us. And so there's that beautiful picture. But, but when you look at the pleased or, or displeased, the deciding factor between who, is, who God is pleased with and who God is not pleased with comes down to one word, and it's the word fear. Right? I'm pleased with those who fear me. I'm displeased with those who do not fear me. Well, if we stop there, right? If I said, amen, let's pray. Like, if we stop there, in the context of God wanting to, you know, lift us up, to put us on display. So, like, are you saying then, God, again, if we, if, if we stop there, are you saying, okay, God, so, so you want the world to look at your followers, your people, and see a bunch of scared people cowering from you? You want to see a bunch of people that are just afraid of their God? Is that what you're saying, you know, in that word? And uh, thankfully, no, that's not, you know, what, what he's saying. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And this is one of those times where it's really good to go back to what, what did that original, what was the original word used when they wrote this? And you can put this up. The word is yare. And yare means to fear, to stand in awe of, to inspire reverence. And that Hebrew word is typically used in the Old Testament in the context of worship. When the people, you know, when the, when the, when the presence of God would be so strong Right, that it caused, it caused fear. They fell on their faces. It's yare, right? That's a responsive word. It's a responsive fear. I mean, it's, it's like God initiates something and then we, in response to him, we stand in awe. In, in response to who God is, it's, it's, you know, it, it inspires reverence in us. It stirs up a response uh, in, inside of us. And here, here's what I mean. Do you want to throw up that picture? Uh, okay. Who has never gone up to Niagara Falls? Okay, here's your, over the next year of your life, I want to challenge you to go to Niagara Falls and go to the Canadian side, the Horseshoe Falls. 
okay? Spend your big American dollars. Keep us afloat, would you, please? Would you? But seriously, okay, Niagara Falls, I've been there many times, and it is one of my favorite places on the planet. And, and because when I go there, and, and this, I mean, if you've been there, it's like, it's hard to get a picture, to pick a picture of how do you capture Niagara Falls? Because if you look up awesome, that's awesome. Like, that's awesome when you go there. And one of the things, when I go to Niagara Falls, I literally find the place, which is sort of like where this picture was taken from. You can stand at a railing, and I hold on tight, but you can stand at a railing, and, and no joke, the water is right there. And that section where it drops over is right there. And I love that. Because I go there, and I stand, and you, and you just take it all in. You're looking. I mean, visually, it's just overwhelming, because it's just, it goes out, and it's just massive. And, it, you know, and you can feel the mist, and it's not really mist. It's more like rain coming on you, like just, and it's coming on you. And then you can, you can feel the rumble in the ground. You can hear the roar. I mean, it is, a, it is a roar. And what I love about going to Niagara Falls is I think Niagara Falls is a taste of what it's going to be like one day to stand in the presence of God. It's a taste. Right? Because when I, when I stand at that railing and I look at those falls and I'm taking it all in, it is like a terrifying joyfulness comes over me. Does that make sense? I feel, I feel like a little boy. And, I, and I'm either going to pee my pants because it's so scary, or literally, I just want to shout, glory. Look at what my father made with just a word. Look at this. It's a wonder of the world that he just spoke it into being. And I believe, in, you know, that's yare. God says, look at that. And then uh, you decide what would a worthy response be to that. That's what Yare means. That's what he means by people, that's, you know, people who feared him and people who didn't fear him. And in Malachi, the people God is not pleased with are those whose response, their response to his love and to his generosity and on and on is literally lame. Malachi 1.13 says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And back in Leviticus, you know, through Moses, God's laying down, you know, here's how you approach me, here's how you bring sacrifices, and, and you see all the way through it. When you bring a sacrifice, you bring a flawless sacrifice, meaning when you come before your God, who is the king of all kings, you bring your best. He is worthy. He is worthy of our best. And you know, earlier on in, uh, in the passage, he actually says to his people, you try and bring that kind of sacrifice to your governor. See how he responds, right? Or let's bring it into today. You try and take that kind of attitude and bring it to your job. You know, you probably better start looking for another job because not, you're not gonna last there. And so how does this apply to us today? Because, I mean, obviously, we're not, we're not cutting anything up. We're not slaughtering any animals, at least maybe in the youth. No, no, okay. But we'll edit that out. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we don't, you know, what kind of sacrifice do we bring now? What sacrifice do we bring to our king now? Well, Romans 12, 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Yahweh, Look, look at me, look at him, right? In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what do we bring now? We bring ourselves. We offer ourselves to him with all our flaws. And here's the thing, in the Old Testament, it was flawless, they brought that sacrifice for forgiveness, for atonement. Well, we don't have to do that anymore, do we? Because the perfect, flawless Lamb of God, Jesus, took care of that once and for all on the the cross. We don't have to now bring the sacrifice, even the sacrifice of ourselves. We don't have to do it to get anything. Now we get to do it in response to our great, loving, generous king. God wants to show the world a people who are so in awe of their God that they live lives of constantly, willingly crawling up onto the altar and saying this, we'll end with this. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. (laughs) I cannot get through that without crying because that is so beautiful. And that is what, that's where God wants to get all of us. He wants to reveal something of himself, his beauty, his power, his riches, his wisdom, that we would be a people this side of heaven who are like, you know, I think of John Wimber, I'm changing your pocket, spend me however you want. Not because, you know, we're not earning anything, but as a response, how could I give anything less than take it all? Take all of me. Why don't we, why don't we stand up? You know, I, uh, JT's going to lead us in a song. And, uh, you know, we'll take some time uh, to pray for folks. And I, uh, I just feel for some today, uh, you, just, you just need to come forward and come before the Lord. You, yeah, someone will pray for you, but really, it's between you and God. There's, a, there's maybe a little conversation needs to happen. Something I said just, or God just zinged you, you know. But I I think there's some people you just need to come and just come before your king and offer yourself to him. Also, uh, uh, for some, 
I think there's people here today, you need wisdom in the area of finances. And whether it's on the side of, of, we just never seem to have enough. You know, God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to encourage and come alongside that. And I think for some, you're at a place in life where it's not a question of having enough. It's what do I do with my money? Like, I don't know what to do with it. And, and God wants to show you. If he's blessed you, he wants to show you how to be generous, where he wants you to be generous. Um, uh, there's some, you're in a place where the bottom has dropped out. And you're, you're, you feel like you're falling in deep water and you're reaching for that solid ground. And we want to pray for you that Jesus would come close and remind you of his love and his presence with you. And, and this is, well, uh, so in the news over this last week, I don't know if you've noticed, three celebrity types have, have committed suicide. And I felt like the Lord said there's, like, there's been like a, a spirit, a, an evil spirit's been released and there's a battle going on. It's like the enemy loves to destroy lives. And I think there's people here today and that, that you are being bombarded with dark thoughts. It may not be to the extent of suicide, but it's heavy and it's dark and you're under attack. That's the enemy. That's our enemy trying to come after you and we would love to pray with you that God wants to stand between you and the enemy and say enough. So if that's you, we want to invite you forward. If you're here today with really with any need, whether it's physical, there's pain, uh, emotional, relational, whatever's going on. We love, we have a generous, loving Father. And so I just want to invite you to come forward. So uh, as JT leads the song, sing along. Uh, but those who are needing prayer, come on up for prayer. Let's make sure everyone has someone praying for them. Uh, and then I'll end off the service. But come on up.
you for your presence here and uh, I thank you that you are a God of love that you are love Lord I thank you that nothing can separate us from your love and I pray this week uh, as we get back into our routines uh, Lord I pray that you would remind us over and over and over of your love of your constant love and I do uh, uh, ask for lots of opportunities this week to to be on display, Lord, at work, in our neighborhoods, it's, you know, uh, classes at school or just whatever we're doing, I pray that you would uh, make us mindful as your people that we're being watched, not for pressure, but for opportunity. Lord, I pray for, again, opportunities to be generous this week uh, in, in so many ways, not just finances, just with our with our words, with our patience, to be generous with kindness this week. I just pray for lots of opportunities. Thank you so much for your presence here and uh, uh, just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. On your way out, grab a six-pack, which is a pack of six invite cards. Uh, We've been getting emails. But uh, seriously, invite someone to church next week. But bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next week.
harsh with tongues of fire.